Well, welcome this morning to Church Online. I'm delighted that you've joined us and we're excited about a great service. I'm going to be speaking about generosity uh, and our real life vision and be sharing about some amazing thoughts about how when we live generous lives, we are blessed. So we're going to step right into the service. Uh, Let me mention that the 11 o'clock streaming will be different to this streaming in as much as uh, we'll be going over live to uh, the campus at 33 because there are baptisms taking place. And so uh, after the normal worship set, there'll be baptisms at the end of the sermon. online at 11 o'clock. You might want to join that at some point or go and watch the baptisms and connect with that. And I know that would encourage those who are being baptized in our church. So good that baptisms are taking place. Anyway, let's pray. Father, thank you for the beginning of this gathering. And as we step into worship, we pray that you will fill us with joy, excitement and bless us in Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Church Online. We're so glad that you joined us. I'm Curtis. This is my buddy Josh and Luke and Rachel. And we're here to lead you in some worship. And we're so grateful you're here. We're so thankful. I'd just like to open in a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this awesome time. Thank you that your spirit joins us all together. No matter where we are, we are gathered together in your name. Christ, you are above me. Christ, you are below me. You're to my right. You're to my left. You're in front of me and you're behind me. Christ, be all around me. I rise, strength of God, go before, lift me up, as I awake, eyes of God, look upon, be my sight, as I wait, Heart of God, satisfy and sustain as I hear voice of God. Lead me on, be my guide, be my guide above and below me. Before and behind me, in every eye that sees me, Christ be all around me, above and below me, before and behind me, in every eye that sees me, Christ be all around me. As I go, of God, my defense by my side, as I rest, breath of God, fall upon, bring me peace, bring me peace above and below me, 
that sees me, Christ be all around me, above and below me, before and behind me, in every eye that sees me, Christ be all around me, Into the night 
Through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. boundless grace the God of ages stepped down from glory to bear my sin and bear my shame the cross has spoken I am forgiven the king of kings calls me his own beautiful Savior I'm yours forever, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me.
became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness he humbled himself and carried the cross love so amazing Love so amazing Jesus Messiah Name above all names Blessed Redeemer
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for taking all of my sin, all of our sin to the cross. Thank you for that. Thank you for what you did with that and what you do with that. You give us freedom. You give us life. You give us hope. You give us this connection with the Father. You give us the church. You give us forgiveness. And you give us your righteousness, which we don't deserve, but thank you. Thank you for that. We'll take it. Bless us all. Bless the rest of this service. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Enjoy the rest of the service, folks. God bless you. I love worship. I love listening to it. I love worshiping. I'm not the greatest singer, I'll be honest. But I, uh, I can hum. And I love to memorize scripture and repeat it as a way of uh, really connecting with the Lord as a kind of my own internal worship uh, CD playing in my life. We're going to take the emblems now before we go over to a Willow One News. And I want to encourage you that you have been forgiven. You've been forgiven so much. Jesus tells a parable, and we'll be talking about this parable, that two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owned him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? We're all debtors. We all had a debt that could not be paid. And Jesus forgave us. We were bankrupt. We had nothing in the spiritual bank. But he came and gave us life. He purchased our salvation through the death on the cross. So as we take the bread, Lord, bless this bread. We thank you that you were broken for our healing. We thank you that we can remember you and we love you and we choose to honour you because you gave your life for us. This is the bread, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of him and remember all that he achieved for you by being your substitute dying in our place and redeeming us. Amen. The blood of Jesus that takes away the sins of the world. We thank you, Lord, that we are cleansed, that we are forgiven, that we are clean, that we've had a massive debt lifted off us. And in the same way that it says, now which of them will love him more? We love you more. Love you more because you've removed the debt of sin and death.
and given me eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, let's go over and hear what's happening in our church network. And then I'll be opening the word of God. If you get your Bibles ready to Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. Thank you. Hi, everyone. My name is Courtney, and this is your Willow Park Church Family News for this week. Our groups for youth in grades 6 to 12 are starting up this week. GLOW is for grades 9 to 12, and it's happening on Wednesday from 7 to 9 p.m. JUICE is for grades 6 to 8, and we'll be hanging out on Thursday from 6.30 to 8 p.m. We hope you will bring all your friends and bring $5 to get a t-shirt. If you are new, please let us know so that we can connect you to a care group. We will also have a youth shuttle from the south on Wednesdays only, which leaves at 6.30 p.m. Learn more about our youth programs at cahoots.ca. Willow Park Clubs is for kids in kindergarten to grade 5, and we're happy to announce that we will be starting up again on Wednesday, October 6th, here at our mission location. At Kids Club, we explore the Bible through games, crafts, and more. Kids have the opportunity to make new friends, and it's a super fun time. Registration is open now at willowparkchurch.com clubs. We have so many exciting areas where you can get involved with church life here at our mission location. For the next few Sundays, we will have volunteer sign-up sheets available during the service. We hope you will take a look at what's available and join a team. We are very happy to welcome Zach Pearson, our new worship director, to Willow Park Church. Here he is to tell you about our upcoming worship volunteer interviews, which are coming up soon. Hello, Willow Park family. My name is Zach, and I'm your new worship pastor. This is really exciting. I'm on my first week of the job here, and it's been lovely getting to know the staff. And I'm really looking forward to getting to know you, the congregation, uh, through weekends and through leading worship. And, uh, and so I'm reaching out to you today because I'm now in the process of building teams and building the ministry and bringing people together to serve with me. So if you're interested, uh, I would love for you to reach out. So maybe you play an instrument or you sing or also maybe production, sound, lights, lyrics. Uh, we need help and we'd love for you to reach out. So if you want to uh, serve with me, you can reach out to my email at zpearson at willowparkchurch.com. And we've already got some interviews coming up, so maybe I can slot you in there. Uh, or if you want to join uh, the volunteer night coming up on the 14th of September, I'm going to be there as well. You can get to know me. I'll share a little bit of the worship ministry. Uh, but we really just want to bring people together now, and we're going to serve our church. So if you're interested, reach out to me, and I'd love to connect with you. We'll talk to you later. Many more programs and groups for all ages, such as the Deeper Women's Bible Study, Gather, Divorce Care, Grief Share, Young Adults, and more will be starting up in the next few weeks. Be sure to subscribe to our email updates on our website as we will be sending all of the information to your inbox every Sunday after the service. That's all for your family news. Thanks and have a wonderful week.
So I'm going to be reading from Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Thank you. Please take your seats. Thank you, Erica. Okay, there's going to be a little bit of setting up happening behind me, but hopefully, uh, hopefully it won't be too distracting. A little bit. That's just too late. We just all need to watch. It's, uh, it's great. We've, uh, we've been taking the last couple of weeks just to do kind of some standalone uh, sermons. We've just come out of a series through the summer in looking at the Holy Spirit, the theology and the work of the Holy Spirit. And as uh, I said last week, we're moving into a, a time where it feels like God has pressed Control-Alt-Delete on the church. You know that, that moment like, uh, you know, when, when nothing else kind of works if you're a Windows person, which I know some of you are not, uh, but you press Control-Alt-Delete and it reboots the system. That's what it feels like. It's like God is rebooting what we're doing as a church, not just a Willow Park church, and that certainly is the case, but also as the church, I think, around the world, certainly the Western world. A few years ago, thank you guys, a few years ago, Google released a database of over 5 million books and published them, uh, books that had been published from 1500 through to the year 2008. The New York Times columnist, David Brooks, started writing what he called the story of the last half century. And what he did is he, he analyzed the use of words over 50 years and compared them to the previous centuries before. He wanted to see if there was any themes in the common words that used. And what he found was there was an intense rise of individualization. He said this. It's a direct quote from, uh, from David the columnist, hopefully you can see that okay. The following individualistic words have been used more frequently. Self, personalized, I come first, I can do it myself. In contrast, the following communal words have been used a lot less frequently. Community, share, band together, common good. So there is a dramatic shift in our culture from community to the individual. And uh, you can see it. You can even see it in our education system. You can see it in our language. You can see it in our writings and our readings. And many sociologists believe you can root that back to the Enlightenment period where there was this idea, this hyper-individualism. It's the, it's the idea that you have everything you need in order to succeed in life. Doesn't that sound familiar? So experts now are showing that this hyper-individualist outlook is actually creating hyper-anxiety and loneliness and selfishness, so much so that Japan, as an example, have companies now specializing in uh, providing and renting out family and friends. 
so you don't feel alone at specific holidays, you can rent out a family. Just think about that for a second. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Hmm, I'd actually quite happily swap out my family at Christmas time and have a whole new set of rented friends and family. That sounds fantastic. They're not going to argue with me. They're going to sit and they're going to be polite. And we can talk about stories just made up. It's going to be great. But how sad is that? Japan actually have a loneliness minister. Now, that made me giggle at the start, and then I repented because I immediately had this vision of a a Japanese person uh, sat in a room all by themselves in the corner just scrolling through Instagram or Snapchat with a miserable look on their face. Uh, But then I actually repented of that thought and thought, how sad is that? That our society now is such where we need to actually governmentally bring people on board to deal with loneliness. And this loneliness that is created by hyper-individualistic thinking. And it sounds plausible. It sounds good. You can do all things by yourself. You have the power. You've got it. Believe in yourself. Go for it. You know, you can be whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. And, and this is the message of our culture. And it sounds good. But what it's actually doing, especially, and you can actually see a turning point in 2007 when the iPhone flooded onto the market, along with its social media, Twitter and Facebook, all founded at a similar time, the anxiety levels have skyrocketed especially in millennials and Gen Zs. That's if, you're, if it's from kind of the age 40 down. The anxiety has risen at almost the same rate it's seen now as the popularity of social media has increased in our culture. This is problematic. You are 20, uh, sorry, that loneliness increases the chances of death by 26%. Loneliness and hyper-individualization is an issue and a problem in our culture. You can do it alone. Alone. But we know, innately, we know that we're not created to be people alone. But for many of us, our homes have become fortresses with walls that we hide behind. We have a kingdom of the couch. And then we get home, our communities now look like a smile and a wave to our neighbors, followed by a click of our garage door that doesn't open fast enough so we don't have to talk to them. If you don't have a garage door clicker, then it's that frantic chance of trying to get your door open and you get in and close the door as quickly as possible before anybody would deign to speak so that we could retreat to the kingdom of the couch. So we can just get to our fortresses, so we can build those walls, so we can sit behind them. And of course, COVID has highlighted this more than at any other time. It's actually encouraged this kingdom of the couch, this kingdom behind our walls, this smile, wave, click, let's get going, has become high priority. And any of you have got any connection with any kind of care industry? And what I mean by that is it may be in the medical uh, world or caring world, counseling world, social uh, world, pastoring world. You know that COVID has left a dent that, is, that I think we're going to see uh, like the, the uh, ripple effect for years to come on the hunkering down and being by ourselves. Now, please don't hear that I'm going to be an anti-protocol person. 
We highly recommend that you wear your masks in church. That is our recommendation. We want to be good neighbors. We want to be people who look after one another. We don't want to be stumbling blocks to one another trying to do our mini protests. You know, uh, that we, we want to be good neighbors. At the same time, though, I'm very, very aware that COVID and the isolation that is created has left an impact, especially on our young people, especially on millennials, but on you and me as well. This is not the way we've been created to live. And as Christians, it is core and central to our faith and our belief that actually we need to be a light on the hill. We need to be countercultural. So as our culture withdraws to the couch, then really as a Christian culture, as Jesus followers, we should be getting out more because the world desperately needs what we, we, we say that we have. As you heard me say last week, Christianity, and by the way, that word Christian and Christianity is very, very rarely used. I think it's maybe used in more of a derogatory term in the New Testament than it is in a positive term. But the way Jesus followers, disciples, or perhaps in our language, better put, apprentices of Jesus, we are called to go into the world and show people a better way. Not just a ticket to heaven that we talked about last week. Not just a beam me up, Scotty, get me out of here. But actually, a way of living that shows people in our culture what kingdom of heaven is like now. And can I tell you, it doesn't include sitting on the couch behind our fortresses, desperately trying to avoid our neighbors. That is not the way Jesus lived his life. It's not the way that we should live our life. And even if you are not a Jesus follower, maybe you're a little bit of a skeptic. Maybe you're just exploring different faith and spiritualities. And we love that you come and listen in on what we talk about. That's great. But we know, even aside from Jesus and Christianity, we know that we have not, we're not on this planet just to stay by ourselves. We even give labels to it and, and we, we kind of condone and celebrate it in a way that actually is harmful. But a core belief as Christians, to be a light on the hill, to be countercultural, is to show our culture, kingdom, life now. But this idea of Jesus and me is all I need is a, is, is a pandemic in itself in the Christian church. Especially with the introduction of uh, podcasts and fantastic worship music on Spotify. I don't need church. You know what? I can plug in. I can get some of the best preachers in the world. I don't need to listen to that British guy in the mission. Don't blame you. But you know, I don't need church. I don't need community. Jesus and me is all I need. And maybe we stretch it out a little bit. Jesus and me, myself and mine is all we need. I just need my family. I, I, I just need my wife. I just need my husband. I just need my girlfriend. And that is so anti what Christianity is actually all about. That is, you will find that nowhere in the New Testament. You'll find it nowhere in the Bible. This idea that you do not need anyone other than those that are the little circle of family around you and your podcast. They're good, I'm not criticizing them, but if they're replacing your experience of biblical community, an experience that really we've been created for to do life together, Jesus spent time with people. It's 
filled. The New Testament is filled with examples. We heard the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus and him going to Zacchaeus' house and spending time with Zacchaeus. And then he finishes off by saying, salvation has come. That there is life change, that there is impact, that there's connection with God as well as one another. When we actually get involved in one another's lives, Jesus spent time with people. Jesus went from home to home eating and drinking. If you look through just Luke alone, you will find 50 examples of Jesus eating and drinking and food being mentioned. Jesus didn't go and preach with anything other than bread and wine in his hand. He didn't have a microphone, he didn't have Instagram, he didn't have buildings, he didn't have a Snapchat, he didn't have everything that we place as high priority. What Jesus had was bread and food and spending time with people in their homes, sat on their couches for a purpose. And the purpose was so that salvation could come to this house. It's countercultural then as it is now. You'll see all, all through the New Testament uh, the times when Jesus is really criticized for spending time with people like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was the lowest of the low as far as the Jewish people were concerned because he was fleecing and stealing money from people who could ill afford it. And then keeping part of it himself and then giving the rest to the Romans. And so he's working on behalf of the Romans, which is an absolute anathema to the Jewish nation at that time. And keeping money for himself. And so Jesus gets, um, gets criticized. The Son of Man came eating, and this is Jesus talking. And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. If you wanted to find Jesus, Jesus was hanging out with people that are different from him. You want to find what Jesus was up to? Yes, he did preach to crowds. Yes, he did preach to groups. And, I'm, and, I'm, and he used stories and he used illustrations. And it must have been amazing to listen to him. But the vast majority of the time was Jesus preaching on a couch. Or whatever it was, the equivalent was in the Jewish home at that time. Pretty sure it didn't look anything like that. It was countercultural then as it is now. Just picture Jesus. By the way, I was reading one commentary this week. It's kind of interesting. You know that Zacchaeus was a, a little guy. Actually, if you read the original Greek, it doesn't make it clear as to whether Zacchaeus was the little guy or whether Jesus was the little guy. Because you couldn't see him over the crowd. Was that Zacchaeus who couldn't see over the crowd because he was too small? Or was it that you couldn't see over the crowd because Jesus was too small? Sailor, just ponder that for a minute. And also, I'm guessing that Jesus didn't have much of a six-pack. Just saying. Now, I'm not saying, therefore, as a Jesus follower, you need to make sure that you become a glutton. Because actually, this isn't, this isn't the Jesus way, glutton and drunkard. That's what you got accused of. But just imagine. And by the way, there's nothing wrong. God has given us the ability to imagine. That's a beautiful thing. Just imagine Jesus walking, spending time with his group of guys that he spent most of his time with. And then the larger group. I've said this many times. Jesus did not float an inch off the ground with a white robe and a blue sash and perfectly blonde hair with waves and blue eyes looking spiritually and mystically off into the distance all the time. Blessed are they. The meek will inherit. Jesus was a guy. He must have been fun to be around because he was where all the parties were. You don't invite somebody to a party who are going to be floating an inch off. Well, maybe you would. That would be kind of fun. But... 
you know, this wispy, I'm just here to make you feel guilty about yourself. Shame on you. Put you that down. Stop looking at that. Become a Christian and become happy like me. Jesus had the 100% most perfect sense of humor. Do you know how I know that? Because he was 100% perfectly divine. He invented the sense of humor. His jokes must have been hilarious. I have in my mind's eye constantly making fun of the Apostle Peter. I don't know why, because I reckon there was a lot of ammunition there. Group of guys sat around a campfire. Yeah, they got into stuff, but they must have laughed till they ached. They must have. Jesus coming into your home laughing hard with a twinkle in his eye and better jokes than John. I'm sorry, John. But just this ability to, to bring people together to tell a story. Do you remember when Thomas said that and them laughing and, and then he would maybe bring in a question, maybe a life story, maybe a thought, praying for people, loving people, pointing to a life of hope and joy, saying there's a kingdom coming, guys. There's a kingdom coming where I'm going to be king and life is going to be like this laughing hard and so much better. That was Jesus' life. That's what he spent the majority of those three years doing. But what do we do? We tend to sit on our couches behind, if we're not careful, the walls that life has built up. Because when did we get so busy that we're rushing into our homes through fear of talking to somebody? That we're rushing from A to B because we haven't got time to talk to somebody who might be in between? When was the last time you just started a conversation with somebody? Not because they're a project that you want to drag into church, just because they're a human being. And the Margot Day, Genesis 1 says, they've been created in the image of God. And everybody has a story that's worth listening to. When was the last time you gave room to that? Or have we made our lives so kingdom couch-like that we don't even have friends and people in our world that are different from us? We don't have anybody to laugh and pray with and ask deep questions to, or even to answer or share story with. And it's the answer that our culture is desperate for. Far more effective, can I say, than, and I, and I love it when you come bring your friends to church, it's wonderful, and I pray that they always find a place where they're expected and accepted and loved, and they will sense the presence of God. But can I tell you, if you are starting from ground zero with somebody and bringing them to church, Can I tell you what should have started is several meals before, several walks before, maybe hundreds of hours before of just being around them, not because they're a project. There's no switch and bait and switch. This is just loving people like Jesus loved them. And what's amazing is that kind of evangelism, that kind of kingdom living was so countercultural, it literally, quote, turned the world upside down. A group of small, a small group of people meeting in an upper room, frightened, praying, wondering what was going to happen next, literally grew into something that toppled empires and still gives us the basis of the life that we live now. Social work, education, universities, adoption, fostering all founded within Christianity. Nowhere else, Christianity. Literally turn the world upside down. Where? From the position of a couch. 
from Christians inviting other people into their homes, from Christians saying, can we go for a walk? I'd like to get to know you. Just because we see something in people that is worth getting to know, not that we see something in people that was worth dragging to church. And by the way, I, I love people coming to church. You know that. I'm a pastor. I'm bound to. No internet. No Instagram. No fancy buildings. No celebrity preachers. No worship movements were needed to turn the world upside down. All that people needed was a couch or a path to walk along. Maybe a table to sit along. Do you know what's really interesting? I, I, the internet's amazing. I googled how far did Jesus walk. How, how many of you have ever googled that? That's an insight into a preacher's world. I wonder how many miles Jesus walked. And lo and behold. Oh, hang on. Let me get to the quote. Oh, did I not read it? I'll read it to you. I'll read it to you. I built it up now. This is where we were. Okay, let me read it. According, this is from a History Channel uh, website. According to the New Testament, the principal locations for the ministry undertaken by Jesus were Galilee and Judea, with activities also taking place in surrounding areas such as Perez and Samaria. Christian texts refer to Jesus walking 3,125 miles. So specific. 3,125 miles during his ministry. I want to say approximately. Within three years, because they're able to plot using New Testament writing where Jesus went. He walked, laughing, asking questions, sharing stories, pointing to the way. That is the call upon our lives, Christian friend. If you're wondering, and we've got, a, and I don't want to steal Jenny's thunder, but we've got a volunteer marketplace happening this week as to how you can get involved in the life of this church. Can I tell you, number one way is start seeing people and inviting them into your life. Volunteer to that. It's incredibly countercultural. It's not trendy, it's divine. And so the New Testament has a word for this kind of living, and I've already shown it you. Practice hospitality. This word hospitality is a fascinating word. And it's mentioned a number of times, but Jesus lived this word out every day of his life. It literally means to invite people not like you into your world. Hospitality, according to Henry Nouwen, and I like this, uh, this um, uh, definition. Hospitality means primarily the creation of free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. A free space. Maybe a good definition would be like this then. And this is coming from the Greek as well. Biblical hospitality is making space for somebody that you don't have to. That's worth writing down because I know you've all brought your journals. Biblical hospitality is making space for someone you don't have to. Making space for someone you don't have to. And can I tell you, I know because I've been around this church now for 11 years... Just so many examples of the lives that I can think of in this place that do this. That turn their homes over to people that they don't have to. Biblical hospitality is making space for someone that you don't have to. It's inviting someone over for a meal that you don't have to. And that's a bit of a strange thing to say if you don't have to. It's somebody different from you. Somebody that maybe you ordinarily wouldn't seek out. It's not somebody who's already in your community group, although that's a good thing. It's somebody that maybe you meet at church that you've just come across. You invite them to come over for a meal and you'll go, Glenn, no, no, no. We're not allowed to do that. It's COVID. 
go for a walk. 3,125 miles of it. Brilliant. Go for a walk. So many times I'll say to somebody who wants to chat or I'm catching up with, why don't we meet at Starbucks on, on Lakeshore? We'll grab a coffee and we'll walk down the Mission Creek and we'll just talk. Guys, seriously, and I think increasingly in our culture, there is far more openness to doing stuff shoulder to shoulder than there is face to face. So walk shoulder to shoulder and just walk. If you're like, I don't want to invite anybody around to my house. Great, go for a walk. Serve one another. And hospitality is at the core of what it means to be a Christian. Look at this scripture. Once, this is Paul speaking in Colossians 1. This is God showing us hospitality. Once you were alienated, which means cut off, or strangers from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you. By Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So this is what this scripture is saying very, very simply. That we who were once enemies, strangers, cut off, unable to have a relationship with God because of the sin in our life and because of our putting ourselves on the throne of our lives. That God in his love and mercy invited you in. Those of you who are different from him, there's that definition of hospitality, come close. This is God showing us hospitality. God went after you, Christian friend, and brought you near. Here's another scripture. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is hospitality, the core, the essence of hospitality, as shown by God. That we were different from him. We were strangers from him. We were enemies from him. We were in a different universe from him in one sense, socioeconomic-wise and everything else. And yet God brought us near. And Jesus came and lived that out on this planet, going to people's homes and spending time with them. God, through Jesus, bringing near those who are far off. That was my experience, that God stretched out his love to me, draw him, you, me to himself, and then loved me, and then I loved him. That's the gospel. That's the conversion experience. And then says, come follow me, become an apprentice of me, Jesus, and you go do the same. And so because great hospitality and love and care and forgiveness and non-judgment and and just has been shown to me, that I want to take that into the world because God loves me. And friends, I know who I am. And I know the struggle I have. And I know the constant pull in directions that ultimately lead to death. And I know that which I have been saved from. And I know the the chains as we've already been singing that weigh down. And that God would choose me. So that I would go and sit on the couch of my life and build up walls and not let anybody else in. No, go follow me. Go make disciples. Go make apprentices. Go into the world and show them the same kindness that you have been shown. That is the gospel. Go show them the kingdom of heaven in the same way that you have been shown the kingdom of heaven. Friends, we could turn this city upside down if just this group and whoever's listening online would make a decision to start inviting people into your world who are different from you. That would change a city. And we know that to be true. 
And we have to really do kind of theological gymnastics and mental gymnastics to make that not be true for us. Yeah, but Glenn, there is no yeah, but. This is the call on our lives. And what an honor it is to be agents of reconciliation. There's that word again. Agents of reconciliation. We can be agents of this reconciliation that God has shown us. What an honor. What an honor. Providing space for change. Providing space for change. Remember with Zacchaeus, it said, Today salvation has come to this house. There's a second part to the, uh, to the definition that Henry Nouwen gives us about hospitality. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. That is incredibly powerful. And not only counter-cultural, but counter-church. Let me show you how. See, the church has somehow over the years created spaces so that people could come in and become projects to change them. There is that sense of you have to become like us before you can believe and belong with us. Whereas that wasn't the Jesus way. And it's not about us changing people, but giving them environments where questions and and stories can be shared so that God can change them in his time. Because this was a great revelation for me as a pastor about five years ago, and you'll be glad that I got this revelation. I, I had the revelation that I'm not the Holy Spirit. You might not have had that revelation yet. But can I tell you, with your kids and your friends and your co-workers and your colleagues and your brothers and sisters and people in your circle, you cannot change them. The gospel is the power of Glenn unto salvation. The power of Wendy unto salvation. The power of Louise unto salvation. No, and praise God. And you're all amazing, but praise God that it's the power of God unto salvation. It's his gospel, his way to change people. What we are called to do is create environments for people to come and be expected and accepted and loved. For us to be unapologetic about the Bible, absolutely. For us to be unapologetic doesn't mean you have to become liberal to start loving people. Why is it that we have to be orthodox in our theology and be nasty to people? When did that happen? We can be orthodox in our theology, and this is not a dirty word, it's just a word, liberal in our love. <gasps> he said liberal. We've got to get out of here. No, 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 just loving people. You, many of you have shown me and my family love that I, like, in places when we have been unlovable, you have reached out and loved me and my family in ways that I just go, It's humbling. You guys are amazing. And I'm not saying you're not in the community. I'm really not. What I'm saying is if all of us, that we could look to one another, the examples that you've had in your life, and somebody's come alongside of you and gently put their arm around you, not because they want to change you, let's go in this time, just because you needed an arm on the shoulder at that moment. That's our calling. And every one of us has been called to that. And if we're too busy for that, that somehow we think that we're going to, sorry Drew, that we're going to kind of flop into heaven. I'm going to stand there and Jesus is going to go, well done, good and faithful servant. 
you did good. Those walls, they were impressive. You did well, smile waving and clicking your way through. Well done. No, getting off the couch and inviting people in so you can sit on the same couch with people, loving them. That's the calling we've been given. Joining in with what God is already doing. Not seeking just to make them projects. Baiting and switching them. Places of judgment so that we can somehow force them and guilt them into heaven. But we can love and pray them towards the kingdom of heaven. Where is it that people who are struggling with the deepest issues in life are actually going to share? Where is that going to happen? Is it going to happen here on a Sunday morning? I pray it does. But people who are struggling, who are lonely with parenting struggles or addictions or hurts or sickness, should I have this baby or should I get rid of this baby? These conversations happen on people's couches around tables and walking down Mission Creek. And that is the mission and the ministry that we've all been called to. And if the day comes when we are too busy for that, then God forgive us. This is the space that we want to create in our church. This is the people that I'm praying for. This is the people that we've been called to be. Not, as I said this to Jenny this week, that in, uh, in Wales, I've shared this before, that they have pews with little locks and the names on them. Do you remember that story? Like you've got a whole pew and this is your family pew. And even if there's no one there of that family, you do not sit in that pew. Can I just say that we have that here to some extent? That, that Wouldn't it be great if, if you lot could all sit at the front so our guests could sit at the back? Is it? Because <laughs> if you're a guest, you don't tend to want to come early. You want to come late. That's a whole other sermon about coming late to church and everything else. But if you come in late, just imagine, you, imagine you're a single dad with kids and you've not been to church ever before. We are making them come and sit here? Because you, you, some of you refuse to come to church unless you get to sit at the back. Now, those of you who are sat at the back, I love you. It's, I'm just saying those of you who are regular, maybe we could all come forward. and that's, hospita- that's hospitality. Oh, gosh, I've just lost half the church from my dad's row back. We're not coming back. He's liberal, and he's making us sit at the front. We're never coming back here. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with our church, our building, and that's okay. This causes me to pray what's going to happen with this place. I don't know. But church can thrive if the church can scatter each week and do what Jesus did. And what's really interesting is how, and I'm going to bring this to a practical close. Let me read you some scripture. I just want to see if I have it. No, that's fine. Let me read you some scripture. Do you remember the... I'll just read to you. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food, Jesus said. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't welcome me. I was naked, and did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you didn't visit me. And they will also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or in prison, or sick, and did not minister to you? That's Matthew 25. When did we... See you. When Jesus fed the 5,000, if you read it in John, it actually says that Jesus lifted, this will preach, Jesus lifted his eyes and saw the crowd. Lord, when did we see you? 
See, the problem is that we don't have time. The problem is that we don't have resources. It's not even that we don't want to. The problem is, is that we get so caught up, we don't see the need. And by the way, this isn't just for people who are in a completely different socioeconomic place to you. This isn't just about people experiencing homelessness or the working poor or people who are struggling. Can I tell you that some of the most lonely people in this city are people with money? People who have the big houses and the lots of cars sat there rattling around with nice cushions, lonely, broken, hurting. Yeah, but they'd never want to come to my house. You know what? They wouldn't appreciate me leaving a meal for them because they can eat wherever they want. I remember, I remember somebody in this church tearing up because they told me that we have never been given a money because people just assume we're rich. Uh, Sorry, a, a meal because people just assume we're rich. To open their door, big doors, and a meal with a note and a card on it? When did we see you? They said, that's our problem, perhaps. Do we see the need? You see, being a follower of Jesus is about seeing others and making room for them in our spaces. So the question that I have then is, how do we see people? Do we have people in our lives outside of our own spaces? Do we have people who are lost and need Jesus? Or do we have people who love Jesus who are lonely in our lives. So we've gotten so caught up with the hyper-individualistic outlook, the me, myself, and mine, and Jesus, that we've actually lost sight and forgot to lift up our eyes because we're so caught up in what's around us. So let me just give you five quick tips. Number one, hospitality, Paul tells us, takes practice. It literally means doing something with intense effort. Can we be really honest? <laughs> oh, boy. This is perhaps one of the hardest things that I've ever asked the church to do. To invite people who are different from us into our homes and into our spaces, into our lives. It takes intense effort. That means, oh, okay. Gosh, we can do this. Sarah, all I want to do is my own thing. But we can do this. Intense effort. Practice. Hospitality takes practice. So it's not for people who just feel like who are super extrovert and love, don't use intro, intro, in, sorry, thank you, don't use introversion as an excuse to not follow through with what Jesus is calling us to do. Number two, hospitality is not entertaining. It is not opening up our lovely homes to beautiful people in beautiful homes, sitting on beautiful couches, admiring beautiful cushions, all being beautiful together. It is not the front of a magazine hospitality. It is not, I'm hoping if I can just make my place look so good, you'll invite me to your place and maybe introduce me to that person that I really want to get to know. That's not hospitality. It's not waiting to be invited back. It's not Instagram posts. It's not the hospitality industry with hotels and fancy this, that, and the other. No, it's not. Hospitality is actually a way of life. Hospitality is thinking, it's seeing, it's inviting people into your living spaces. Living spaces is not just your home. Your home is a place of refuge where you recharge. But we have other places where we do that. Restaurants, walks, coffee shops, 
activities. At the times I've been invited out, like, like Brad will just say, do you want to, Brad and Dave, to be fair, come out and we'll just bob around on the boat for a couple of hours. Oh, it's recharging. So we can invite people into our living spaces, those places where we go to recharge. Our culture is draining, and, and as we invite people in with no excuse at all, invite them over before you invite them to church. Invite somebody. In Britain, we always used to go to somebody's house after church and eat. Was that ever a thing here? It was. I see some nod. Was that a Mennonite thing, or was it just a church thing? In the, it's a 90s thing, okay. Where you just like, people would just disappear into people's homes after church. And invariably, there'd be somebody new invited along. I love that. Can we get back to that? Yeah, but COVID. Oh, no. That'd be so great. If you're going for lunch, then invite somebody with you. Eat together. Amazing things happen around food. Because if you've got nothing else to talk about, you can talk about what you're eating. Practice hospitality with your friends and your neighbors and your colleagues. Hospitality is also practiced in church. It's a place where we can actually see people. We can invite people as guests into the church and give them the best possible experience of hospitality. Hospitality is doing a great job in worship because we want people to be introduced to the one who is ultimately hospitable. It's about in, in signing up in the different areas, the, the chores of the church, as they call them, many of them. The things that make this happen on a Sunday morning so that we can make this place a place where people feel expected and accepted. It's chatting with somebody you don't know after the service. It's actually leaving your best friends and going to seek out somebody you don't know, going, hey, my name is Glenn. Great to see you. Have you been in this church long? Yes, 20 years. Okay. So glad we chatted eventually. Like if, we just, if we just committed just to spending a few minutes at the end of each Sunday to actually see people, and it's lovely, I love, gosh, this is so, it's dangerous preaching like this because it feels like I'm criticizing the stuff we do. I'm not. I'm not criticizing you. I kind of, no, I'm not going back there. I'm about sitting at the back. But hanging out with one another and talking and chatting is a good thing. But let's include other people. Hospitality starts with us seeing the other person with all their differences and making space for them. And there is no better way of showing the love of God to somebody because you can say, I'm making space for you in my life. Let me tell you about somebody who made space for me in this. That's evangelism. It's taking the wall down and seeing this as the, most, the ultimate evangelism tool. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> that's three of you yes we can take we can turn this world upside down really we could no I know it's, we're not a shouting church and that's okay <laughs> I'm genuinely excited about this because it's just something that every one of us can be involved in young and old and, uh, and that is very, very cool. Join a community group. Join the Connect team. Get involved in kids' ministry. Get involved in Alpha, even if you're saved. Get involved in Alpha. Go for a walk with somebody. Just live life. Not behind our walls. Smile, wave, click. Isn't that exciting? No, I'm not going to ask again. It is exciting what God can do with that. Let me pray for you, and I'm going to invite Jenny to come up. We're not going to sing a final song because our worship leader um, needed to be back at 33. So we are going to pray.
This, and, uh, and then Jenny's going to come and explain to us what's going to happen out there. And when Jenny comes, can we give her a really big round of applause? Because Nick and Jenny moved into the area about, where is Jenny? Is she here? She's right there. How many weeks ago now? Three. With four amazing boys and uh, new school, new house, new city, new ministry, new jobs. And then the boys got sick. <laughs> This week, so Nick is at home, and uh, but Jenny is here, and she's already, Nick and Jenny have been doing great this week, and really this, please encourage Nicole and Jenny and Courtney, they put all this together, uh, it's really, really cool, but this is a great way of us being hospitable. So I'm going to pray and invite Jenny up, and then Jenny is going to dismiss you, and uh, we can all be hospitable together, with our masks on, please, that would be great. Let me pray. Father, I, uh, I pray that some of your heart out of who you are has been communicated this morning. That, Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for the way that you set us the example and then said, come follow me. And, Lord, I pray that we would be increasingly a church who would invite people in. That, Lord, that we would become countercultural divine in our expression of who you are in our culture. Lord, thank you for the countless ways that people in this church live this out every day. And Lord, I pray that they would be encouraged. I pray that, Lord, if there are those of us in the room who are just feeling a little bit like we're hiding, that, God, you would speak to them. And, Lord, show them simple ways that they can show you to other people. So, Lord, I pray that no one would leave this place feeling anything but invigorated and excited about the calling that you have given them. And, Lord Jesus, I'm thankful for what you're doing in this church. In Jesus' name.